we have completed our study of Philippians, and uh, I believe we're being led uh, now to the epistle to the Hebrews. So we will begin uh, looking at the opening words of uh, Hebrews this morning. Would you please stand for the reading of Scripture? Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful uh, that you have spoken to us. You have spoken to us by the uh, prophets. You have spoken to us by your Son. And so we pray that we would hear his voice, that we would see him high and lifted up, and that we would know him and follow him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Can you improve perfection? As we begin making our way through the book of Hebrews, we shall see that it is written to people who are in danger of giving up. Perhaps you have given a pep talk to a child who wanted to quit a project they had started or quit a team on which they played or didn't want to go to school anymore. Or perhaps you have tried to encourage a friend not to give up on their marriage or not to quit a difficult job, at least not until you find another one. The original readers of Hebrews were in danger of giving up on Jesus and turning away from and walking away from their Savior. Now we don't need to get bogged down in much background or introductory information. We'll cover all that as we go through the book. But the author essentially does three things throughout the book. He encourages them not to turn away from Jesus... Secondly, he warns them of the danger of turning away from Jesus. And most of all, he tells them again and again and again how wonderful Jesus is. He is absolutely perfect and superior to all things and everyone. So can you improve perfection? Of course not. So he is saying, do not walk away from Jesus. 
you'll be leaving the perfect for that which will leave you completely and eternally disappointed if you do. Now let's look in these opening verses at the perfection of Jesus. First in this passage, we see that He is the perfect and final Word. The perfect and final Word. Look at verse 1. Not long ago, or long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Now, as we see these people to whom he is writing are familiar with the Old Testament. It's likely that they were what is known as Hellenistic Jews. They were of Jewish background, but were not from Judea or the land of Israel. They were from the various parts of the Near East or some have uh, suspected they may have been from as far away as Italy or uh, even Spain, but they were ethnic uh, Jews, well familiar with the Old Testament, uh, probably familiar, read the Old Testament in the Greek language into which uh, it had been translated. These people uh, to whom he's writing, they're familiar uh, with the fact that God has spoken in the past. You see at the end of verse 1, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. These are Jews. It's their fathers, Israel. God spoke to them by the prophets. This is referring to the Old Testament. That was in times past. God spoke many times, many different ways. But God spoke. He revealed Himself. He revealed His will to His people by His prophets, beginning with Moses, the great prophet. But He says, now, in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son. Now. In the original, it, it says he spoke to our fathers in the past by prophets, but today he has spoken to us by a son. Not uh, that he has many sons equal to Jesus. Jesus is his only begotten son. But his son is so much greater even than the prophets. God has spoken to us by His Son. This reminds us of the opening words of John who told us that in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. He is God's communication to us. God reveals Himself. He makes Himself known to us through His Son. 
John says, no one has seen God at any time but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, that is Jesus Christ. He has made Him known. He has explained the Father to us. The invisible God is made visible through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now look at what he says about Jesus in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now in the old days by the prophets... God would give his word, he would give his message to the prophet, and the prophet would deliver his message to the people. But in Jesus Christ, God became flesh in order that he might reveal himself completely to his people. The sun is the radiance of the glory of God. Isaiah 42, God says, I will not share my glory with another. I remember one time I had some visitors, you know who they are, um, I don't wish to poke fun at them. I, in many ways, admire them, but what they believe is is wrong. But they come by sometimes to see us on Saturday morning. They came to my house, and I knew that at some point, I always invite them in if I if I can, and we sit down and I try to talk with them. I knew at some point they were going to tell me Jesus is not God. He's not God, at least not on the level of Jehovah. I won't call him Father or anything, just Jehovah. And uh, I took him to a passage where Jesus prayed that his Father would glorify him with the glory he shared with him before the world was made. I said, do you, do you believe that God has always shared his glory with Jesus? I said, yeah, we believe that. I took him to Isaiah 42. said, God says, I will not share my glory with another. I said, do you believe that? Yeah. All right, well, if God shared his glory with Jesus and God will not share his glory with another, who is Jesus? And they said, well, you're just trying to trick us. Jesus isn't really God. <laughs> I said, well, that's a neat trick. And the conversation didn't go any further than that, I'm sorry to say. God shares his glory, his full glory, with no one. Do you remember Moses went up on the mountain, the great prophet, to receive the revelation directly from God? God wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger. Now we will later on read it in Galatians that he somehow 
used the mediation of an angel, but the Lord spoke to Moses, we read, as, as two friends would sit down and speak. face to face. Moses came down and he was shining with glory but it was a fading glory. A glory that would pass away. So says Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But Jesus is the radiance, the full radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. The word there for character. He is the perfect display of the character of God. He is the perfect final revelation, the word communication directly from God. And so he is saying to these people who are in danger of turning away from Jesus that if you leave him, if the pressure overwhelms you and you walk away from Jesus, you are forsaking true knowledge of God for ignorance. Now we live in a time and in a place that is described by the uh, experts as being post-Christian. We live in a society and in a culture that is becoming less and less Christian. We see this in many different ways. I remember four or five years ago listening to a radio station that my wife had on. I'm not going to say which one it was. But they were talking. It was a, it's a news station. And they were talking about sayings we have that don't make any sense. And they said that the saying to toot your own horn does not make any sense. It's bad to toot your own horn. And they, they talked at length about how uh, in a band or in an orchestra, uh, of course you would want to toot your own horn. If you tooted somebody else's horn, you'd get their germs and get sick. I thought these people have no idea what they're talking about. Anybody that's read the Bible knows that the expression, don't toot your own horn, comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, when you give alms to the poor, don't stand in the street and blow a trumpet like the hypocrites. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't brag on yourself. That's what it means. but where there is no knowledge of the true revelation of God in His Word. There's ignorance. But worse than a silly thing like not knowing that don't toot your own horn comes from the Bible, 
there is genuine ignorance of who God is and what He is like. In Western Europe, which is becoming increasingly pretty radically secular, turning away from its Christian heritage, what we find is not straight materialism, atheism, but an increasing rise of what we would have considered to be primitive paganism. So our author says, you have the perfect knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. To turn away from Him is deliberately to trade enlightenment for ignorance. So Jesus is the perfect and final word of God and secondly and finally we see His perfect and final work. So we have a perfect and final word and now a perfect and final work. Look at the end of verse 3 or the middle of it. After making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now here's the great problem. Right, if you leave Jesus, how are you going to know God? And now if you leave Jesus, how will you be reconciled to God? If you leave Jesus, what will you do about your sin? You know, these Hebrews, these Hellenistic Jews who would have received this letter, they understood the Old Testament. They understood the sacrificial system of the temple and the tabernacle that every day sacrifices would be made. And the Day of Atonement would be repeated every year and the Passover would be repeated every year as we will see if we ever make it to about the 10th chapter of Hebrews day after day. The priest stands in the temple making sacrifices of animals again and again and again. But here we read that when Jesus had made purification for sins or when he had purged our sins or made an end of our sins, in other words, he got rid of them. What did he do? He sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. Early last week, Monday or Tuesday, I was out cutting my grass. I try to make it a point if I can. And this is probably terrible, but I make it a point. I don't have a riding mower, but I make it a point not to, uh, I have to stop and gas it up one time, every time, 
by trying not to give in to the temptation to go inside. Want to stop. Try not to give in to the temptation to go inside and get a drink or sit down. But last week, it was, it was pretty hot, pretty dry, first of last week. I want to stop for gas. I came in, got a cold drink of water, and I sat down in my rocking chair. You know what happened? What always happens if I sit down in that rocking chair and I don't have a child yelling at me. I was out. I sat down and I wasn't finished. Over the years, I have tried to train myself don't sit down and rest till you finish. Because it's hard to get back up. Jesus Christ sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high because his work was done. There is nothing left to do. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. All the wrath we deserve for our sin, all the justice, it's been settled. Jesus has borne it. All the debt we owe for our sin, Jesus has paid the last penny. It's gone. It has been taken away. It's nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high because he finished the work the Father sent him to do. If you turn away, walk away from Jesus, These people were in danger of some persecution. He indicates in the 12th chapter that they haven't yet resisted to the point of blood. They hadn't been martyred yet, but they're feeling pressure to leave Jesus, to leave this new cult they call Christianity. There's pressure in our day. Maybe not completely to walk away from Jesus, but change a few things he said that are not popular today. If you leave Jesus, what will you do with your sin? You try to atone for your own sin. Make up for it. Do enough good to outweigh it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save. Now alone. My oldest child was three years old. One Sunday night, we were coming home from church. I had preached. She had been in the children's class. As we were driving home, we didn't have about two children back then. And she was a talker. She had learned how to talk, and she was using her new skill that night. <laughs> and she said, Papa... I gave my sins away. I said, what? She said, I gave my sins away. And I said, well, who'd you give them to? She said, I gave them to Jesus. She said, Papa, did you give your sin to Jesus? don't know a three-year-old what she meant, how much she comprehended of that. But I want to pass a question on to you from a three-year-old this morning. Jesus has made an end of our sin. He has finished the work and sat down. Because it is done. Have you given your sins to Jesus? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.